0: 2 Samuel 10, David's victory in battle is attributed to the Lord. Kindness misinterpreted. That's how this next battle starts for David. David's a good guy, a man after God's own heart. He hears of the death of the king of Ammon and sends ambassadors to share his condolences. Now that's something that's done today. A head of state dies, there is a state funeral, and many dignitaries from all over the world come to pay their respects. However, the new king, the son of the deceased one, takes it the wrong way. And that's his big mistake. Let's dig in. But first, let's do what David did and read a psalm that he would have prayed before battle. Psalm 20. In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you from Jerusalem or Zion. May he remember all your gifts and look favorably on your burnt offerings. And here's an interlude or Selah. So stop and ponder. Think about you just read. Continuing verse four. May he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all your prayers. Now I know that the Lord rescues his anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven and rescue him by his great power. Some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord, our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. Give victory to our king, O Lord. Answer our cry for help. Well, here are some points to ponder. This is a song of prayer of preparation for battle. Afterwards, there's a song of celebration and praise for victory. The point here is to not go into any battle without God on your side. Like verse 7 says, some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Now in those days, an army that had chariots and horses was considered more powerful than an army of just swordsmen and archers. It's like today's armies that try to have the latest technology. What's more, when they do acquire it, it changes the potential outcomes of the battles. David nevertheless had a secret weapon, God. Trust in God. He presented his war strategy to God because he knew that he couldn't succeed without him. If you click on over to my blog, I have a very interesting looking picture there. It's Afghan Taliban soldiers modeling American uniform, weapons, and vehicles. You gotta look at this. You gotta see this. They happen to be sitting in a Ford truck. Going on. 2 Samuel 10, battle with the Ammonites. Sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun became king. David said, I'm going to show loyalty to Hanun, just as his father Nahash was always loyal to me. So David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanun about his father's death. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanun, their master, do you really think these men are coming here to honor your father? No, David has sent them to spy out the city so they can come and conquer it. So Hanun seized David's ambassadors and shaved off half of each man's beard and cut off their robes at the buttocks and sent them back to David in shame. When David heard what had happened, he sent sent messengers to tell the men, stay at Jericho until your beards grow out and then come back. For they felt deep shame because of their appearance. Just shave them off and then grow them back. When the people of Ammon realized how seriously they had angered David, they sent and hired twenty thousand Aramean foot soldiers from the lands of Beth, Rehab, and Zobah, one thousand from the land of Makah, and twelve thousand from the land of Tob. When David heard about this, he sent Joab and all his warriors to fight them. The Ammonite troops came out and drew up their battle lines at the entrance of the city gate while the Arameans from Zobah and Rehab, and the men from Tob and Me- Mecca positioned themselves to fight in the open fields. When Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, he chose some of Israelite's elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Arameans in the field. fields. He left the rest of the army under command of his brother, Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be courageous. Let's fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. When Joab and his troops attacked, the Arameans began to run away. And when the Ammonites saw the Arameans running, they ran from Abishai and retreated into the city. After the battle was over, Joab returned to Jerusalem. The Arameans now realized that they were no match for Israel. So when they regrouped, they were joined by additional Aramean troops summoned by Hadadezer from the other side of the Euphrates River. These troops arrived at Helam under the command of Shobak, the commander of Hadadezer's forces. When David heard what was happening, he mobilized all Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and led the army to Helam. The Arameans positioned themselves in battle formation and fought against David. But again, the Arameans fled from the Israelites. This time, David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Shobach, the commander of their army. When all the kings allied with Adedizar saw that they had been defeated by Israel. They surrendered to Israel and became their subjects. After that, the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites. Well, Here are some points to ponder on this. De- uh, king David had all good intentions when he sent ambassadors to the new king, um, Hanun. Unfortunately, bad advisors lied to the king and said that these were really David's spies. They humiliated and insulted and disgraced David's ambassadors, which was a declaration of war. Then they go hire some mercenaries, 33,000 of them. They would be equal to today's terrorists, proxies like Hamas, Hezbollah, Taliban, and Al-Qaeda, the other ones responsible for the 9-11 attacks and bombing Israel, etc. Again, King David's secret weapon was God. Unfortunately, America has lost its connection to God. Next we have Psalm 21, victory belongs to the Lord. How the King rejoices in your strength, O Lord. He shouts with joy because you give him victory. For you have given him his heart's desire. You have withheld nothing he requested. Another interlude, so pause, reflect. You welcome him back with success and prosperity. You placed a crown of finest gold on his head. He asked you to preserve his life and you granted his request. The days of his life stretched on forever. Your victory brings him great honor and you have clothed him with splendor and majesty. You have endowed him with eternal blessings and given him the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, the unfailing love of the Most High, will keep him from stumbling. You will capture all your enemies. Your strong right hand will seize all who hate you. You will throw them in a flaming furnace when you appear. That line right there. You mentioned something about that. The Lord will consume them in his anger. Fire will devour them. You will wipe their children from the face of the earth and they will never have descendants. Although they plot against you, their evil schemes will never succeed, for they will turn and run when they see your arrows aimed at them. Rise up, O Lord, in all your power. With music and singing, we celebrate your mighty acts. And those um, passages, um, uh, 9 especially, is a picture of what Jesus' final victory against Satan will be like. And this was written 27 hundred years before John wrote the book of Revelation. And you can click on over my blog and I have links to studies on the book of Revelation, especially specifically also Jesus's second coming when he appears and he sends Satan down into the fiery furnace. Then we have Psalm 144. Now, all all these were written about the same time, so that's why I'm grouping them together, trying to stay in, in historical sequence here. So praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He is my loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety, my rescuer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. He makes the nations submit to me, O Lord, what are human beings that you should notice them, mere mortals that you should think about them? For they are like a breath of air, for their days are like a passing shadow. Open the heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they billow smoke. Hurl your lightning bolts and scatter your enemies. Shoot your arrows and confuse them. Reach down from heaven and rescue me. Rescue me from deep waters, from the power of my enemies. Their mouths are full of lies. They swear to tell the truth, but they lie instead. I will sing a new song to you, O oh God. I will sing your praises with a 10 stringed harp. For you grant victory to kings. You rescued your servant David from the fatal sword save me rescue me from the power of my enemies their mouths are full of lies they swear to tell the truth but they lie instead like those guys those guys in from Ammon. may our sons flourish in their youth like well-nurtured plants may our daughters be like graceful pillars carved to beautify a palace May your barns be filled with crops of every kind. May the flocks in your fields multiply by the thousands, even tens of thousands. And may your oxen be loaded down with produce. May there be no enemy breaking through your walls, no going into captivity, no cries of alarm in our town squares. Yes, joyful are those who live like this. Joyful indeed are those who, whose God is the Lord. Folks, we're fighting spiritual battles and we must train for spiritual battles. No matter what battles you are fighting in your life, God is bigger. Paul told us in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. And if you want to know more about the armor of God and what you need to do to put it on, I have a link in the middle of my blog, um, and there's a link to my blog in the show notes. But you got to know this, God is bigger than any terrorist army. What's happening right now in Afghanistan is the most horrendous debacle that an American president can make. Consequently, the ripple effect of one country's mistake affects the lives of thousands, if not millions of people. Two posts ago, I embedded a video on how Afghanistan plays a part in the end times scenario. So if you haven't seen that, I recommend you go check it out. But that's militarily. How about Christian persecution in Afghanistan? Well, yesterday I came across a podcast of an interview with a Christian missionary with stories about the Afghani Christians who are being hunted down and killed right now. Some only because they have a Bible app on their phones. You're going to click on over to my blog and listen, listen to that one. About three quarters of the way in, and she's interviewing Pastor X, because we you know want to hide his name for security. He tells of how we can pray for them. And there are passages, specific passages that he mentions. One is Psalm 73, another one is Psalm 91, then 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 through 5, Ezekiel 37, and Romans 15, 5 through 6. And I have links to those in my blog also. And what we're doing here really is we're praying God's words right back to him. And you can change the words around, you know, to to make sense in your heart and for whom you're praying for. Also, in today's blog, I dug up a couple of songs that all this reminded me of. One is is uh, by Sidewalk Prophets. It's called The Words I Would Say. And uh, one of the main lyrics in the chorus is, be strong in the Lord. And then, um, Today in church, um, they sang um, another song, it's called the king of my heart. So who's the king of your heart? Is it Jesus? If you're not sure? Well, isn't it about time he was? And Jesus told us in Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Let him in. How do you do that? Just invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. Salve there, gloria, to God alone be the glory. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times, but know that things aren't falling apart. They are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20 to 22, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is knocking. It's up to you to open the door.